Listening on. You're listening to the Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. Won't you there if ever I'm wrong? To it, the bounce show, the first weekend of the Olympics behind us, the excitement. Oh, wow! Wow, I don't think I've watched so much sports uh, all year in the last few years. I haven't been on Twitter as much in the last year or a few years. Just so much to get through. So, you're at the right place right now. I've got Dan from Conquer Sports. We've got an interesting Olympic topic to talk about. Well, maybe it's not so much a topic as far as understanding what we need to have about certain athletes and uh, how we perceive gender and uh, unfair advantages. We've also got Joan from the left back talking about rugby, or the big rugby weekend. So those are your two guests to look forward to this, uh, this week. I hope you enjoyed the opening track. This is Andy Caldwell with Warrior. You've been stealing my attention. Sweet music video about samurais and stuff. Yeah, so the Olympics, it got underway. Huh? There were so many shit stories about Rio and... Um, all the bad things about it, but we all knew as soon as it was going to get started, it was going to be great. Everyone's going to forget about the knife crime, the pollution, the Zika, uh, all kinds of other stuff. And we've kind of focused on what the Olympics is all about, the greatest sporting event in the world. Now, I don't use that loosely. Like People obviously go about like, you know, this is the best or that's one of the best. The Olympics is the greatest sporting event in the whole world. And you, you just... To give you an example of that, I watched cycling over the weekend for probably two to three hours. I watched fencing over the weekend. I watched Asian men hitting targets with bow and arrow. It was just something completely out of character, and I loved every single minute of it. So, you know, this morning I, I was trying to come to terms with just the headlines on the Gareth Cliff show, um, and I couldn't. There just wasn't enough time, and I, there wasn't enough words or adjectives to get through how excited I was about this. So it all started off with the opening ceremony, which um, I didn't watch live. Well, it's obviously so bloody early. You know, Rio is uh, five hours behind South African time, so it's not ideal. But the opening ceremony was really, really good. you got to understand that these guys had no money, basically. Okay, Obviously, they had some money, but Beijing had 20 times the budget that Rio had, right? And uh, to bear in mind, things are cheap in China. I mean, they make people do things for for pride and for country. They're exactly to pay them great money. London had twelve the amount, twelve times the amount of budget that uh, the Rio Olympics had for the opening ceremony. And the ceremony was it was interesting in that obviously they had Giselle was the big the big star. She came out and walked the length of the stadium to the girl from Ipanema, the soundtrack, uh, which is kind of awkward for her because it was like. It was like the longest catwalk on earth, and all she was doing was walking. So there was a three-minute period of the of this whole opening ceremony where it was just her walking and looking like Bastian Schweinsteiger. But that's a different conversation. They also had this big thing about how you must treat the world's uh, right, you know, plant trees, blah, 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 which is kind of ironic seeing as, well, Brazil kind of cut down a lot of forests and they pollute waters more than anyone I've ever seen before. Overpopulation, obviously, is a big factor with that. And then it got down to some decent fireworks and all the teams came out. But um, it was strange because there's no, there was no track uh, involved in the Maracanã Stadium. Well, for the opening ceremony, 
Um, so people, basically the teams came out, they walked in a straight line, kind of like Giselle, and then they just sort of scattered and then sort of like partied and took selfies with each other. The fireworks were amazing. Um, everything about it was cool. I think it was exactly what you need out of an, an opening ceremony. You get a little bit of culture, you introduce the teams, and you basically get everything off to a nice send-off. Anything post that is just a waste of money. And um, it's also, this is going to be a very green Olympics. So, you know, all the metals are recycled metal, uh, all the medals are recycled. Uh, from various things. The gold medal obviously is mostly silver, so they're just recycling maybe old tuna cans, who knows. But it's going to be a greener than usual Olympics, and a lot of emphasis on that. So after the opening ceremony, it was kind of all guns blazing. Now, I've got Dan with me, so I don't want to keep him waiting. So I'm actually going to get into the Olympics a little bit later, towards the end of the show. But there are a couple of things I have to bring up. And uh, firstly, Karen van der Berg, South Africa's first medal. Congrats. Well done. A silver. Um, I know people are obviously thinking because he won gold in, in, in London, you know, he was had to do, repeat the feat. But the guy he lost to, this Adam Peaty guy. Well, I mean, we talk about sports people in the zone on top of their game. He's just exactly one of those kind of people. He broke, he broke the world record for the 100 meter breaststroke in a preliminary round. He then rebroke the record in the final. So, um, f- full credit to him. He won by more than the body length. And in 100 meters, that is a long, long way. It's such a dominant performance. So South Africa are currently 20th on the medal rankings. They've got one silver. Top of the pile, and it will stay like this forever and ever, are the United States. They've got 12 medals, 3 golds, 5 silvers, 4 bronzes. Their first gold came in the shooting. Obviously, lots of joke opportunities there. And then Phelps got a gold last night for the 100 meters, uh, 4 by 100 meter relay. It was his 19th gold. This guy, his first Olympics was five Olympics ago. It just shows that he is going to be the greatest Olympian of all time. He really is. It's like taking Sachin Tendulkar's cricket record, doubling it, and that's what Phelps is to the Olympics. He is that incredible. So uh, one more thing is just to get through before I, I get to Dan, um, and it was some of the best internet trolling I've ever seen. It was over the weekend. Now, as I said, I spent quite a bit of time on Twitter for the first time in many a, many a weekend. I generally just tweet a few things here or there, but... I was on it the whole time, and uh, it was just so funny seeing Roy McIlroy being trolled by his fellow countrymen, the boxers. This one dude, he took a he took a selfie with Caroline Wozniacki, and uh, he said, "Wow, Car- Caroline, we make a great couple. What do you think, Rory McIlroy?" <laughs> just such an amazing dick. And then uh, another another boxer said, uh, "Took a took a selfie with Ricky Fowler. Obviously, Ricky Fowler is also one of the greatest golfers in the world at the moment in the top ten. And uh, he said. <laughs> Sitting here with with uh, Ricky Fowler, Roy McIlroy, he says you're a pussy for not turning up. There's just so much happy at the Olympics. So if you are still kind of impartial about what's going on, you've really got to get on it. Get on to Twitter, follow the hashtags Rio2016 or just the Olympics or Olympics2016. Just There's so much to get into there. So much fun stuff. And as well, you can also see other things like um, people slagging off Hope Solo. This is something I'll get to before we get to Dan here. I can just cancel that window, cancel that window. So Zika was a big thing, huh? Dan, uh, you're on mic too, huh? Hello. Okay, you're there with us. So before we get into your section, which it's going to take a bit of time, so that's why I've got to curtail my, my Olympic uh, feature. Um, the Zika thing was a big deal. Now, Hope Solo, actual actual real name. Right. She's the goalkeeper for the women's uh, America team. <laughs> Anyway, she is being talking about being troll, trolled. She's getting trolled properly by the Brazilians. Hope Solo's Olympic experience got even noisier on Saturday as the United States goalkeeper was again taunted by Brazilian fans over her fears of the Zika virus. As the Americans took on France in Group G, Solo was jeered every time she touched the ball, 
with the crowd at Belo Horizonte's Estadio Mineral building up to a crescendo of Zika each time she released it. Solo has taken extra precautions against getting bitten by mosquitoes at these Olympics as she wants to have children with husband. I just add here that her social media the last few weeks has been like, there's her in like a bug mask, there's all kinds of <laughs> mosquito repellents on the bed. Like she's, she's really laid it on thick. Jeremy Stevens, a former NFL player. However, her stance has seen her emerge as the number one target for Brazilian supporters. Earlier this year, USA Today Sports spoke to former Brazil captain Alini Pellegrino, who suggested Solo's public comments might be the result of sour grapes. Okay, let's not get into some other feud going on here. Basically, she's made a big deal about it, okay? So what this means is that every time that she's now been playing in the because the, the women's football is in the first event to start. She's a goalkeeper, right? She kicks the ball a lot. Every time she kicks it... <laughs> crowd plays up to the beautifully. Shouting Zika every time she kicks it or has a hand in the game. Now, I think a lot of people are just going to the grounds just to seriously watch her to shout Zika. Oh, this poor woman for life. She wouldn't be able to kick this thing without shouting Zika. And she's obviously a, like a big deal on this team. And the USA team is the best team in women's football. So she's going to be getting Zika the whole way through. Let's just get one more of these. This is good. All <laughs> oh, right. So enough about the trailing, Dan. Let's get into your feature. Now, you've been writing something very interesting about Casta Semenya, mm-hmm. who... First thought in my mind is South Africa's gold medal prospect in the games along with a few others. But there's something more that you would like to discuss about her today. Sure. Well, I mean, she's more than just a prospect. She's basically as close to a guaranteed gold medal than any other athlete in the games. She That that woman's 800 meters, they may as well just not even run it. They may as well just give her the gold right now. Because unless she falls down, she is guaranteed to win that gold medal. Now that's an interesting thing to say because, firstly, match fixing—you um, don't you don't guarantee anything in sport nowadays because that comes with a lot of red tape. But um, it's just—is she at like the real height of her powers right now? Has she learned from previous things, and or is the competition just not what it could be? Well, she's—you know—there's that. She's definitely at the peak of her powers. But the reason why this is so controversial because is that she is at the peak of her powers heavily aided by the fact that there's no longer a ban on the amount of testosterone a female athlete can have to compete against other women. It's no longer a ban. Okay, because... Or she, rather, a, a limit. Okay. So she came out... Now let's just try to get some perspective to her career. Mm-hmm. Um, she came out 2009? 2009. Okay. The now, world champs in Berlin. And she won that, right? She did. But she came out and it was just incredible. She blew everyone away and she was a teenager. And then there was a whole bunch of stuff going, actually, she's a man. Well, I mean, it Massive was... Massive shitstorm of controversy after that. It was, it was huge. It was, it was one of the most publicly humiliating and damning controversies that that's that sport has faced and i mean can you imagine being a, a young teenage girl mm. you know any teenager doesn't need any help with you know questions about their identity but but yeah the whole world was placed this young this, this young woman in in the center of this controversial storm and it was just it was just disgusting and really ugly and and race came up and class came up and the fact that she was african and and it it, it Basically, by by the end by the end of all the all the controversy, two years later, the IAAF 
set a limit on the amount of testosterone a woman can have on to, if they want to compete against um, another female athlete in, in, in competition. And that limit was 10 nanomoles per liter of serum. It's not that that's just what testosterone is measured in the body. And they found that 99% of the, of female population have a testosterone level of below what was it? I think it was 3.08. Casters was above 20. Okay. Well, so, yeah, cause I was going to ask you like, how common is this? So not very common. She's in the 1% and she's almost eight times. Right. And, over the limbs? and, and, and the controversy around Average testosterone, day. the reason why we talk about it is because that we separate men and women in, in sports and sure, have the, to. the, and, and we have to. And the main reason why we have to is because that men on, on average are, are, Far more superior, uh, stronger, faster, can kick further, et cetera, et cetera. And the main reason for this is the amount of testosterone in, in the body. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a thorny, contentious issue, but, but, but that is the truth. And, and. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're not being sexist here. Testosterone no, does a hell of a if, lot. And if, that's why we're just bigger and stronger. If, if we didn't, if we didn't separate men and women in, 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 in athletics, you wouldn't have female representation in any track and field event, in any yeah. swimming event, in any cycling event, weightlifting, arguably hockey, football, golf, tennis. I mean, female representation, never mind medals, but female representation at the Olympics might only be limited to sports like equestrian and gymnastics mm-hmm. and, and, and not even necessarily all the gymnastics, just gymnastic sports. So yeah, for the, that's true. So for the sake of, of protecting women's sport, we, we, we create that divide. And as I said earlier, the reason why we we create that divide and, and the reason for the disparity in, in ability is the amount of testosterone in the body, which then brings us to castor. Okay, so testosterone testing, right? Now, this hasn't come up into doping or anything like that. Is this something that hasn't been monitored throughout ages? I mean, castor can't be the only person who's sort of fallen foul of this. No, no, she's not She's not the only person, but, but why castor's case is, is so controversial is because she is so great. If she was If she was running... In the Olympics and, and, and qualified for the final, but finished eighth or, or struggled to, was, was nowhere near medal hope. We would, we would maybe be talking about it, but, it, but it wouldn't create this controversy. And yes, her testosterone level is high, but, but we, we can't ignore the fact that she is such a controversial figure and this issue is so controversial because she is going to win gold. Um, in, in the article, I, I, uh, I speak about Oscar Pistorius and, and remember the, at the London 2012 games, he became the first amputee athlete to compete in the able body games. Yeah, but he was cheating. Well, right. But you know, and people were like before the games were like, Oh, you know, do his blades make a difference? And is this an advantage? But the fact that he couldn't even qualify for the final and that South Africa came eighth out of nine in the four by 100 meter relay, or was it four by 400 meter relay? I can't remember. Um, four by 400. Was yeah. it four by 400? There you go. So it wasn't controversial because he didn't succeed. But as soon as someone challenges the status quo and, and, and knock someone off their perch, you, you try and look for, for why it happens. And if you can pin that advantage on something that you consider for your own personal reasons to be unfair, then this, this controversy happens. But now, just on that though, I mean, in 2012, I was watching that London Olympics. Now she was again. I mean, Costa's been around, like I said, since 2009. She burst into the scene and she was a superstar. Mm. So fast forward to 2012, she won silver there. Okay, right. But it looked to me like there was a shitstorm when to happen, just like you said. 
people were waiting for her to come to prominence and then everything was going to let loose. Yeah. It looked like she was literally trying not to win that race. Now, I, I don't know if it was confirmed or not, but she hung back mm. until she got that final straight and she's like, well, I'm bored. And <laughs> then she sprinted and she had the fastest finish on everyone. Right. And she just went through the whole field and then she got silver. And, and not, not only that, what's, what's also interesting about that, that 2012, her coming in silver, that might be bumped up to gold because the woman who beat her, a Russian athlete, has been implicated in, in this doping scandal. So, Yes, and, 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 and there's two reasons why that's remarkable. One, that there's a lot of allegations that Caster didn't want to win because winning would, would only hype, you know, yeah. add fuel to the fire. And the second one is that in 2011, the IAAF set this limit. So for all we know, and, and we have to assume that she did because of, of rigorous testing, that Caster came second and potentially only lost to, or lost potentially only to someone who was doping while adhering to this limit as a 20, what was she? She's now 20, as, as a 21 year old. She's now what? 20, she's 25. 25. 25 now. That's, that's sensational. As a 21 year old coming second only to a doper while still adhering to the limit. She's obviously great, but now with that limit lifted, um, as a result of a, 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 a CA, a cast reading was court of arbitration for sports. They, they lifted the ban from the IAAF because of a, of an Indian athlete. So now without the ban, at 25, at the peak of her powers, she is just going to obliterate the competition. Sorry, Dan, I, I might have missed something, but you said adhering to a limit. What was was she taking suppressants or right? Yeah, so so um, hormone therapy. Ba- uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So so if if according to the IWF, when the ruling when the limit was set, um, female athletes had to reduce their testosterone count to below 10 if they wanted to compete. So that was the limit. Um, this is like anti-doping. Right, anti-doping, exactly. Be, to reduce that testosterone, because we've, because science has proven that this is the one variable that really adds to, to performance, and, and, which is why we separate men and women. So, they, the IWF decided in order to protect women's sport, we have to ha- set that limit. So she did that, came second, potentially still won, and if you, if you believe the rumors, as you just said, that she was holding back, I mean, she, you know, the people that I spoke to, Ross Tucker, um, a prominent sports scientist was among one of them, and Joanna Harper, a, a transgender athlete who actually sat, um, on behalf of the IAAF in that ruling last year and said that there should be a limit. They are both of the opinion that Castor, even with, even if she still adhered to that limit at the Olympics, she would still win gold. But because she doesn't have to, um, you know, she's unhinged almost, she's going to smash it. It's kind of is, it makes for interesting interesting thing here because people are saying that she's unnecessary or unfairly brilliant, okay? But she hasn't run the fastest time in the eight hundred meters. If you were to actually look, well, she has. She's run the fastest. Well, this, I mean, this year she ran the fastest eight hundred ever. Right. Yeah. So uh, she was beaten. The record is currently held by a Bulgarian woman set thirty three years ago, and obviously we it hasn't been proved, but. Bulgaria, 33 years ago. I mean, come on. This, this one well, was, was Dan, I've got a list here, okay? Mm-hmm. All-time women's best 800 meters. Um, Jamilia. I'm going to put Yeah, yeah. Go on. Jamilia Kratov Kal. <laughs> okay. Hang on <laughs> one more time. Um, Jamila Kratokok Vilova. Close enough. Okay. Czech Republic woman. Sorry, Czech Republic, not 20, Bulgarian. 26th of July, 1983. She ran a time of 153.28, right? Mm-hmm. Costa Semenya's best ever time this year, mm. okay? July, last month. 1 minute 55.33. So there we've got more than two seconds that this Jamelia has beaten her, okay? Right. It's back in the 80s. Now, just as a side sidebar here, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, back in the 80s, they were doing drugs left, right, and center. No doubt. And Czechoslovakia, fact, of course. This woman has... Uh, <laughs> 
1983, her record still stands. Mm-hmm. We all know, they don't have to be a sports scientist to work this out, that we are becoming better, faster, stronger every single year. This woman's record is 23 years old. 33. Th- sorry, 33 years old. Like, that. that's dodgy, but people won't talk about that. I reckon, look, Carsten Semenya's testosterone levels aside, I reckon she has become a bit of a scapegoat here. She still only has the 22nd best time. There were 21 better times in this race than hers. So, it's not a lot is being made of this, but I just think it's kind of unfair in places. It really is. So, you, are you saying that it's unfair to Caster or? I think she's or? just an easy target. I think a lot of the time she's an easy target. And it's because she's so high. You know, you know, it's a, a, that all that old thing of how it's, it's lonely at the top. If she was coming fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, we wouldn't be talking about this, but because she's going to win gold, ignore, ignore the world record. I mean, I, I think that she might even beat it at the, at this games or, or sometime in the future, but, but let's just, let's just take the record out of it. She's going to win gold. The pinnacle of her sport at the Olympic Games and at 25 could, could potentially win more medals down the road. You know, she's definitely going to. And it's not, it's not just, it's not just Ross and, and, and Joanna who are saying that this advantage is an affair. Paula Radcliffe said that it, you know, tarnishes the integrity of women's sport by, by not letting, um, by, by not enforcing Castor Semenya and other hyperandrogenous athletes, which means hyperandrogenous means, um, high levels of testosterone. Not limiting hyperandrogenous females tarnishes the reputation and, and integrity of female sport by making it unfair. See, but there's so many different issues here. And, um, I mean, look, just the Bruce and Caitlin Jenner thing, you know, the intersex and all that kind of stuff, it's really brought to the fore now. Mm. But in your, in your understanding of, of these things, and obviously with all the articles that you write and we talk about here, you've done amazing research. Is there a fair way, though? Is there something that can be put into place? I mean, we talked about keeping that testosterone level at a certain level. You know, but then again, is that discrimination to enforce that people have to take certain medications? Is there actually a solution here? So look, so look, you, <clears throat> the thing that you, that we got to understand is that we're never going to make everyone happy. Yeah. Um, as I said, Joan Harper sat on the, on the side of the IAAF and she's had, um, women's rights groups champion her for defending the integrity of, of, of female sports, but she's had women's rights, rights groups smash her for, you know, being discriminatory against intersex and transgender athletes. So yeah. basically there are three camps that, that, that you uh, the way I see it, that you can kind of, you can choose one of three to be in. The first is that outright all intersex and, and, and transgender athletes can't compete. You know, sex, sex and gender are binary. You're either a man or a woman and intersex and, and transgender people are men. That is, that is, you know, 18th century. And, and you, if you think that, you know, turn off the station now and jump off a building. Yeah. Um, the second one is that they can run unimpeded. Let, let intersex and, and, and transgender athletes run with the, with the gifts that the sporting gods have blessed them with. Let them go and win gold medals because. I like that point because sometimes it is a gift. I mean, there's great athletes out there. Let me look at Phelps. He's in his fifth bloody Olympics. You can't right. tell me he's got the same genetic makeup as many people. Right. He's been gifted by something. But, but, you know, we, we also got to understand that his gifts and wingspan heights, fast twitch muscle fiber over me and you. Is a, a massive advantage, but there's no greater advantage than testosterone counts. Yeah. So, you can so get back to that. So, point. so once again, where we draw, so fairness comes down to where that advantage comes from and how much of an advantage we consider fair. And, and yeah. those are arbitrary, which is why this limits of 10 that the IAAF set doesn't have to be 10. It can be 13. It can be nine. It's not really the point of where you set it. It's the fact that do you set it? So the second camp is that we don't set a limit. Let them compete. Let them enjoy themselves. Let them go win gold medals. And the truth is that intersex and transgender people around the world, I mean, the suicide rates in, in America, 4.6% of the general population have tried to kill themselves. 
41% of transgender and intersex people try and kill themselves. Wow. Because, because of the, of the, of the misconception and because of the fact that these, you know, th- this, this is a marginalized, disenfranchised group that, that really needs some role models. So let Castor go and be that role model. That's, that's really important. But the third camp says that that's all well and good, but this is unfair to women's sports. And if, if you want to protect women's sports and, and, and the integrity of, of fairness in sport, we have to set that limit. Where that limit is, we can, we can come up with and everyone can agree on it, but you have to set it. And, and a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of very prominent voices, as I said, Ross, um, Joanna, Paula Radcliffe, and some of Caster's competitors in 800 meters believe that a limit must be set. This is so interesting because, I mean, look, I had no idea the limits were, were so, so diverse, I guess, but, you know, are there certain stimulants that people are taking to increase their testosterone levels legally? Sure. Uh, and, you know, I was having this, this question the other day. Everyone's on something. Just, yeah. they, they just haven't become illegal yet. It, I mean, the same Bolt is taking something. He's, I, I'm not saying he, I'm not saying he's doping, but he's putting something in his body that, that yields, um, athletic advantage. That thing maybe isn't illegal yet. Maybe that thing will never become illegal, but everyone's taking something. So when, when, when we talk about doping, it's not, it's not only taking te- upping your testosterone level, but a large part of doping is upping your testosterone level. Casta's almost been, you know, she's like Obelix in, in Asterix and Obelix. She, she fell into the, into the magic potion, <laughs> potion when she was born, you know. Do we, do we, do we not let her compete because she's been blessed with this genetic advantage? Like Michael Phelps has, like Usain Bolt has, like LeBron James has. It's, it's where do you draw the line? Uh, yeah. Where do you consider t- that, that unfair advantage to be unfair? I mean, we don't put, 100 kilogram boxes fighting against 60 kilogram boxes because that advantage is too fair. That, that's obvious, right? True. But, but where we draw the line between one weight division and another weight division is entirely arbitrary. It could be a kilogram less, could be a kilogram more. It's the same with this. Have there been cases in men's sport where there's been guys with testosterone just through the roof? Because, I mean, there's obviously women can have male-like things, but what's the one above men, testosterone I, 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 Truthfully, I don't know. And I think because we just accept that men have high testosterone. I mean, there's no doubt that Michael Phelps, if we compare my testosterone level to his testosterone level, I'm sure he, his is through the roof compared to mine. But that is almost – we consider that a natural advantage, and that's fine because yeah. men are supposed to, you know, quote-unquote, are supposed to have high levels of testosterone. Yeah. Very, very interesting stuff, this, Dan. Wow, I'm actually going to look into it. <laughs> look, but again, it's just, it's just a shame that Casta's, she works hard, like all, all the yeah. other athletes. She has made so many different sacrifices to get to where she is now. But it's like this thing, well, oh yeah, she's going to win gold, so what? Like, there's never, ever, is there a so what situation with gold? There's the pinnacle of your life. Right. And I hate to see this is going to be this is weakened for her because people will applaud her and she'll obviously be a hero to us because we are, are proud of our athletes. But then you get those people always going to go, oh, well, she's a guy or other derogatory comments. Right. It's a massive shame. Just on the Olympics before we let you go, because I need to get into quite a long rugby chat. Cool. You know, that new squad and all that kind of stuff. For sure. Um, what other events are you particularly excited about seeing in, in the Olympics coming up? I'm, I'm obviously excited for the, for the swimming and the track and field, the big ones, but I'm also, I love the Olympics because I get to spend half an hour just watching sports that I don't care about. I mean, I watch fencing for 20 minutes. When do I ever watch fencing? Why, why would I ever watch fencing? And also what, what's great about the Olympics is that you can kind of get wrapped up in these sports that you know that no one watched them throughout, for the other three years because they're really boring. No one cares about. But don't you also get a sense that this is what sport? It's it's going back to the roots of sport. Right? Yeah, we watch so much football and all the play acting and mm. these prima donnas and their self tans. We're watching Formula One, which is one big marketing exercise, and it's brands and mm-hmm. it's cars and it's drama. 
like I feel we sometimes move away so far away from sport, whether it be transformation issues, there's all kinds of crap. But when you're watching a person fencing, like who knows what this person does, <laughs> but it's all sport. It's like, all sport, yeah. Like you watching these archers, like it's just all they have in their life and it's all they're focusing on. It's, they it's live for this sport. moment, yeah. It's excellent. The whole, there's no sideshows whatsoever. Like I, I was almost, I mean, I got a lump in my throat watching that, that gymnast over the weekend, that, um, that French dude. Uh, the one who broke his leg. You know, like, I, I can't confirm the story. So I, I read this thing earlier, this article, that the same thing happened to him four years ago to his other leg. Well, okay. this poor in, dude, in the right? Olympics? No, no. Two weeks prior to, to London, right? Uh, okay. His right leg snapped like that, couldn't compete. Now his left leg has snapped like that. He's obviously quite a, a beat. He's going, it's fine, don't worry, I'm going to come back stronger. He's broken both legs now. <laughs> he's going to come back stronger. In Tokyo, he's going to get gold. Brilliant. And you think, like, you don't see sporting charisma, charm, and just endeavor like this anywhere else. And then during, you know, Kosovo won their first ever medal. I mean, and, and that, she was a, a weightlifter or a judo athlete. I can't remember. What do you call a judo? A judo fighter? Judoist? Judoist? Judoer? Judoer. Yeah. Kosovan <laughs> judoer. And, you know, it was Kosovo's first ever first ever medal and she was crying and, and it's, it's just that 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 human spirit of the olympics that and, you know we bang on about about it and that it verges on on a cliche but really that's that's why the olympics are so great it's for those human stories and it, it's really great it's just, a, it's just a pity about the time but i'm going to be watching as much as i can yeah me too it really is um but yeah just on that gymnast again like i was amazed the guy's leg is hanging just hanging off okay yeah he wasn't making a big deal of it he was just you could just see the the pain's obviously is tangible, right? The guy's leg's broken. His body's yeah. not made like it used to be anymore. No. But the look on his face, you could just see first and foremost is like, shit, that's, that's my Olympics gone. Yeah. He, he wasn't coming in terms of the fact that he's in massive pain. It was such an amazing thing for me to see that. In any other sport, it would be about the pain. It would be about, oh, sorry for me. And he just sat there so composed going, oh, fuck. Like he, there was a sporting moments like this to make people just go home now and watch highlights. Yeah. Which I'm probably going to do in about now this time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Dan, uh, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks so much for providing a double header. We'll have you back again end of the month, depending on what your schedule looks like. But yeah, you got to get on to, you must read this article that Dan wrote about Costa Semenya because it's got quotes in there from Ross Tucker. Um, it, it's such a fascinating thing and, and there is no real answer or solution, but you got to have the understanding of what goes in here. So when you watch Costa, don't get caught up in all the, the mob mentality about you know derogatory comments about her she's gone through quite a journey to where she is now and it wasn't exactly her choice so go on to conquer sport c-o-n-q-a sport.com get into the blog feature and all the all amazing articles that dan's written are all there for you dan enjoy the olympics Happy thank you very doing. much yeah you too and um cheapest so i'm even gonna watch the paralympics throughout because it's, it's, it's the human story and it's now the there are no russians in the paralympics they've, they've all been banned yeah, that's quite a story. Yeah. yeah. Sounds a little bit unfair. But hey, dopers are dopers. Next up, we've got Juan from the left backs coming through. But uh, to intro that, you've got to get the the intro thoughts. It wouldn't be um, a rugby bit without this. Nick Mallett and his thoughts about the final. Um, hang on a second. Oh, that's not, oh there we go. Volume. Re-entry. I think they finished eighth the first. Blah, 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 blah. There we go. Well, that's Go certainly on, been back the case this. Um, since their relegation, Nick, from uh, from Super Rugby. The re-entry, I think they finished eighth the first uh, season back. And to see how far they've come in a relatively short space of time, because three years isn't all that long, there's definitely progression. Can they sustain that? 
Absolutely, they can, as long as they as they keep their players. And uh, it looks like the recruitment is going well. They've got some really good uh, SA Schools players going to them this year. So uh, it's been a great season for the Lions. Unfortunately, this is uh, these are work conditions that they are not used to. A dry Emirates Park is uh, completely different from a, a wet, windy Wellington. And uh, it just looked like the Hurricanes were more comfortable playing in that in that weather, especially Bowden Barrett. He's yeah. kicking not only for poles, but he's kicking in general play was out standing. But what, what I thought really summed this game up was how they've changed their pack from being a powder puff pack four or five years ago. They were, you could really smash them to a team that, that won a penalty off a vital scrum that the Lions chose just before half time and they managed to turn that into a penalty for them and they won three of at least three of the Lions throws in the lineouts, <laughs> yep. and they won a lot of ball again in windy conditions at the back of the lineout, which was very good attacking ball and allows backline players so much more space. The role of John Plumtree in that? Absolutely integral. You know, John Plumtree is an outstanding <laughs> coach, uh, was an outstanding coach at the Sharks. Uh, he was a very, very good assistant coach with Ireland, with the forwards, and he's been a brilliant coach with the Hurricanes. He's been involved in the final last year, taking them to the final and winning a final this year. So, and he is solely responsible for the improvement in the forward pack. I think he's a great loss, in fact, to South African rugby. That you know, to have a person like him who had international experience, um, and he was around for a while at the Sharks. But every coach goes through the ups and downs, and sometimes you've got to stick with a coach uh, through a difficult season to make sure that the team, in the end, uh, improves. And I think the Lions did that with uh, with their team and their coaching staff. A, a guy like uh, a guy like Jan Ackerman was involved with um, with Mitchell, and through the the firing of John Mitchell. They gave him the opportunity. They were out of, the, of, of Super Rugby for a year, but they, they showed a lot of confidence in him, in J.P. Ferreira and in Swayster Brain. And they've been absolutely brilliant these last three years. To get yeah. through to a final is outstanding. I still think, though, right, uh, there's going to be a niggling thought that perhaps we should have sent a slightly stronger team to the Jaguars so mm. we could have come away with one point. Because I really believe if they had played at Emirates Park, Yep. This afternoon in dry conditions, making the, making the Hurricanes travel halfway across the world, that's the 17 points. Not quite 17 points, but it's, it's a much tighter game, and they've got a much better chance of winning it. Yeah. So that might be the only regret this season. Ancient spirit. New challenge. Well, yeah, it's a good point. I think what's just to, to start a rugby feature this, this week, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Derek Albus, did point this out at the time. We didn't have to set, Lions didn't have to send a completely second string team. They could have just sent maybe half, kept, kept a few guys back, you know, work on a couple of combinations, maybe send different halfbacks, whatever it was. Sean, you know, with all of this said and done, obviously hindsight's brilliant, but, um, would that be the fairest thing to say that the Lions could have done better? Hey, Dan. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with Malik. You know, I've had this feeling from the start that the Lions made a bit of a mistake by sending a, a, a holy second string side over to the Jaguars. And for the simple reason that Joburg is not an easy place to play. I mean, if you look at how the Highlanders did in the last 20 minutes, they were like out on their feet. Yeah. And I mean, you know, home field advantage is sure you've got the crowds, you've got all that, but it's also just the conditions that you know so much better. And I think that the Lions would have had a much better shot of beating the Hurricanes at home in the last 20 minutes in particular if they played them at home. So, yeah, that's my opinion. 
Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I was, I'm, I, I support anyone who's going to be bold in SA rugby. And, uh, you know, my faith is in Yohanakuma knowing what was best for his team. But again, we've got to that yeah. stage where everyone is now waited to say, I told you so. This is the moment where everyone can yeah. say, I told you so. And there it is. But it is a massive shame. And I think the game was a bit anticlimactic on the weekend, that final of Super Rugby. The Hurricanes yeah. just did what they had to do. They had to just strangle the Lions, force them into errors. And then Burden Barrett was always going to be the difference. That guy's just so good. So it was a bit of a shame that that, that was the final but at the same time i mean the lions acquitted themselves pretty well but um yeah just goes to show what the now we know what this whole tournament's all about eh? i know it's a cliched statement but the lions did learn the real hard way and how they approach us next year well it's just going to be fascinating to see for sure and and i think that that's such a good point because if you look at how the lions performed last year i think they just missed the playoffs and now this year they made it all the way to the final so who knows what they can achieve next year and, you know, I think one thing that the Lions do brilliantly is they never make high-profile purchases. And I think that that's so strategic. Like, they pick young dudes who are fresh out of school, get them into the system, and then give them time. And I think, you know, what that means is that their team will be large, largely unchanged next year. There's not going to be some superstar coming in and, you know, throwing a cat among the pigeons. So I really do think that next year they can really go all the way. Yeah, you make a great point there. This whole thing about giving time, and the Lions have shown it, that you know, we, we, we're far too impatient as South Africans. I think we always For expect sure. everything to be happen and happen now. And um, yeah. I think going into looking at Alistair Gutierrez's new Bok team, you know, this whole thing about giving time is the only way we can go about things. Nick Mallet was mentioning there how the Hurricanes, you know, the Hurricanes were pretty shit not so long ago. Hey, They were like a mid-table kind of team. Uh, yeah. Some faith was shown in some structures. Some faith was shown in some teams, in, in some players. And now look at them. They are the fifth New Zealand team to win Super Rugby, which now means they've all won Super Rugby. <laughs> I know. That's so, so, John, there's not a whole bunch more we can really say about Super Rugby. I think it's all been said and done in these playoffs. The Lions yeah. were head and shoulders above the rest of the South African teams. They without showed that, um, you know, without having to lose any players to the box setup, very little to overseas commitments, they were managed, they were able to build on something. You know, it's like one of those investment banking ads that they all have the same meaning. It's like amazing For what sure. you can do with time. So let's shift our attention now to the Springbok team. And uh, I think by and large, a pretty good squad. What was your sort of impression when you went through the names over the weekend? I don't know. Like when I went through the, the names, I felt a little disappointed. I felt a little disappointed that people like Volvo was picked. Um, I mean, he was shocking against Ireland. He really doesn't deserve his spots. And I mean, I, I don't really know who who should take his spot at this point. But I'm just saying that I, I was really hoping that we would have learned some lessons from the Irish series and, you know, moved on. I think it's, it's cool that Horson got picked. Like, I mean, last time you and I spoke, I said that that would be my main job if I was Alistair Gutierrez is to, to shepherd Zook Vili and to get Johan Horson over there, and, and that we've done. It's just also a little strange, though, because apparently, and I, I don't really know for sure, but apparently uh, a lot of South African boys playing for Montpellier for Jake's team in the top 14 have been playing, like, superbly, like France Stein, Bismarck, B2C, why haven't we picked those dudes? It just doesn't really make any sense. So it's a couple, it's a couple of weird picks. But overall, yeah, it's a really good side. Uh, there's a lot of um, opinion out there that there's not enough test caps in the team, you know, that there's, uh, it's a bit green. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that, you know, you've got to pick the young guys at some point or another. And I think we are in a rebuilding phase. So if they're on zero caps, then let's get them capped and let's get them building to the next World Cup. Yeah, it's getting back to the point about um, 
about uh, Jake White's Springboks over there. Do you not think it's just a, a case of like old with uh, out with the old, in with the new? You know, Hurston was never given a chance. Really, he he featured a little bit um, early on in his career for the box, and then he went overseas. It's like maybe the time is now done for Bismarck. You know, Frontstein, even though he's still relatively young, his time is maybe done with all of this. Maybe this is just the the, the final kind of nail for those guys saying we've got enough players. We're not considering you guys anymore. Yeah, that's that's a fair point, and I think that perhaps that is the mentality. But I mean, Bismarck Dupuisie is one of the best hookers in the world, you know. So to leave him there and not play him is is a little bit odd. I think Adrian Strauss, yeah, he's been given the captain's armband now, which makes things a little awkward. But I mean, Bismarck Dupuisie is much better hooker than him, yeah. you know. So if, if if we're going to be pick, like doing the art of the old end with the new, then let's get rid of Adrian Strauss and let's bring Bismarck back. Yeah, that's exactly. what I'd rather do because. Bismarck's got a lot of rugby left in him, and he's a phenomenal player. So I really, I really would have picked him. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's just look at the backs quickly because uh, I want to bring up a point here, which is my only sort of real glaring thing. You're right. I mean, Volvo was pretty shit during the Irish series, and when he went back to the Sharks, he wasn't a whole bunch better. If anything, he maybe even been <laughs> worse. So to look at exactly. to, to go through the entire backline here, we've got Ruan Combrick, Damon Dallander, Jean de Jong, Fafter Clerk, Jan Hurston, Brian Abana, Francois Hocard, Elton Janchis, Jesse Creel, Lionel Mapu. Volvo, Rudy Page, and Mornay Stain. So, Combrick, obviously, he's in there. Dialander, incumbent. He had a good World Cup. Uh, he's worked at Alice Goodstay. He's going to be in there. Jean de Jong, do you reckon he is uh, deserving going straight back into this, seeing as he has chosen sevens as his format of choice this year? Uh, like, I think that, you know, Jean de Jong's inclusion is something that I called a while ago. I think Alice Goodstay is a Jean de Jong fan. Alice Goodstay is a province boy, so it's just a matter of time before Jean de Jong gets his shot. Yeah. You know, the centres. The way the center selections are made is a little bit bizarre, in my opinion, because we've got like 12 outside centers and we've got one inside center. So and he if something happens to Damien, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if something happens to Damien, then what? Then we're going to play two 13s in the center position, which is a little bit odd, you know? Like for me, the glaring omission, and everybody's spoken about it, but I'll add my t- 10 cents as well as Ruan Janssen from Rensburg from exactly. the Lions. That kid. That kid has got a bright future. He's he's just so big and strong and fast, and he's only 21 years old. Damien is a phenomenal player. I really am a big Islander fan, but he needs to play Curry Cup rugby. He needs to get his form back, get his confidence back, and I would have picked Jansen van Rensburg in that position to start. But also, the benefit of Jansen van Rensburg, you got it next to Mapu. They've been playing the whole you know, tournament together. They're very, very familiar. And Damien and Mapu don't work that well because Damien does this weird thing lately where he just runs at people with his head. And Mapu is the kind of guy you got to put him in space. So, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's about the combinations as well. So it's, it's a little bit of a, 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 like something that I don't really understand at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I really couldn't have said it better myself if I tried. It's just that you got to look at the combinations here. So the fact that Dalander, he he's done enough in the Bok jersey, you know, post the Jean de Villiers era to warrant a place. It's just that you got to look at it like, at, at what cost of a guy like Mapu, who, who is a good player. He just needs to be used in unison with someone who's got the right idea. And Jens van Rensburg, he is, I mean, he's the kind of guy that if the weather's cucked like it was on Saturday, you can still just put him in the pocket and make him crash the ball for a couple of phases. The guy's just yeah. that good. He's just got that many abilities to him. But yeah, he's 21, so... 
you know, look, it's it's not ideal, but again, you know, he's got so much ahead of him. I just hope that he doesn't go overseas early. You know, there's a guy with so much yeah. talent, and these people overseas know exactly what's going on. They're watching all these matches. So, but you know, Ben, that that is such a key point, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you know these young hot players, they get itchy feet, they get ants in their pants, they get this massive offer from Racing 92, and yeah. off they go, and then they lost to South African rugby. And I'm not saying that every 21-year-old needs to be throwing a springbok cap. I'm not saying that at all. Mm. But, I mean, if we're in a rebuilding phase, then what is a better opportunity than right now to cap the best players in the competition? It really is now. You know, there's no reason why gaming should be starting against ahead of Ruan van Rensburg. Yeah, and again, like, you know, rugby, as we all know for years now, it's not just about a 15-man game. It's about the 23-man game. So, Damien... Exactly. Damien has shown versatility. He's played wing before. He's shown he's got some amazing game-breaking abilities. So maybe he must be seen more as the utility center sort of late on the game thing. When you've got a, yeah. when you've got a foundation of Fafta Clerk, Elton Judges, Lions number nine and ten, you've got a number 12 in form and you've got Lionel Lapu who works best with that number form, that, that form number 12. It just seems strange that you want to mix it up. You know, you, yeah, you, when, you've sure. been, when you've been given so much, Alexis's job is tough as hell. We all know this. Um, yeah. But, we, you know, when you're given a gift like that, it just seems a bit strange. So just looking outside of that, you know, Husen, where is he going to play, really? Because you think that there hasn't really been an out-and-out fullback picked here. I know that um, uh, Vili LaRue is now going to go seek some foreign currency, and him and Peterson are out, which isn't the worst thing, okay? They might come back. In the case of Vili, he might come back. So does this now mean that Jesse Creel and Johan Kursen are going to be our fullback options? That's actually a very good point, but I didn't really think about that. Yeah, Jesse Creel played, oh, it was weird. Darek has been flip-flopping between outside center and, and fullback, which is really poor coaching. I think that it's never good for somebody to be so versatile, to be honest. But, yeah, so Jesse Creel probably is in the team to cover fullback, but I think Johan Kursen will probably start at fullback which is also a bit of a weird one because apparently he's been playing out of his shoes as an outside center for Racing 92. So now we're picking him at fullback, which apparently he does quite competently. Mm. But it's just, you know, it, it, it's kind of like weird picks here and there. Yeah, it does seem a bit strange because there's always going to be questions going into it. And then, you know, they, people are always saying, oh, but, you know, he can cover so many positions. It's like we've seen with the Proteas. Yeah. There's so many guys in the Proteas that can cover a bit of bowling, a bit of batting. We need people who can do a bloody good job on something. Primaries here is what we're looking for. Now, with the, sure. with the inclusion of, of Brian Abana, um, you know, obviously there's, there's always quality to burn there. There's ex- exceptional experience and there's the proven track record. But again, you know, out with the old kind of analogy, is it a good call bringing him back? No, I don't really think so, to be honest with you. I don't really understand. That was, when I looked at that, I was just like, wow, is that still play rugby? Yeah, Havana, you know, phenomenal player, so much test experience, and I really do think we need some test experience in the team. But, you know, like you and I agree very much. We're in a rebuilding phase. We need pockets of experience, for sure. But what we really do need is we need to move forward, and I would really be looking for who's the next in line for that. Because, yeah, we've got Ron Combrink on the field, but who's Abana's long-term successor? Is he even in the squad? Probably not, you know? So how does that help if you've got Abana grooming somebody who's not even in the Springbok team? Yeah, it's a good point. I think a lot of this comes down to the fact is when is Saru going to put their foot down and say, look, Sonatla, we'd like you to kind of focus on the 15-man game now. You know, who knows? Maybe after the Olympics, a lot of these sevens converts are going to commit to the 15-man game. It's yeah. a difficult thing because it's not as, it's not as easy as that. You know, some guys might only want to play sevens. You know, these, these crossover players. Who knows? It's an interesting point. So I think ultimately yeah. there's still some big questions in 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 the back line there. Probably more so than the forward pack if you were to look at it. Just to go through the forward pack there: Lou Diaga, Pierre Sefatoy, Ibn Etzebeth, Stephen Kitsov, Vincent Koch, 
Yaku Creel, Francois Lowe, Malcolm Marx, Bongi Umbanambi, uh, Opal Mahoja, Sikabuza Notche, Franco Mostert, Tendam Tarira, Trevor Nyakani, Julian Ridley Hayes, Adrian Strauss, Dwayne Vermeulen, Warren Whiteley. Again, who's your Loisian Volvo there? Um, I don't know. For me, Bongi Umbanambi, I, I, I don't understand that pick. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Stormers supporter. I watch the team very closely. And in my opinion, Skyrim Tabani is better. Uh, Bongi. Bongi is like, I know he played junior Springboks and that kind of thing, but Skara just offers more. He's like good on the deck. He's like a low center of gravity. He's good with ball in hand. He's a good scrummer. So, like, I don't think he's my, um, you know, he totally, he's like the Mbobo in, in the forward pack necessarily, but it is just a bit of a perplexing pick. Mm. Um, but otherwise, I think the forwards are pretty good. Uh, we don't have any number six cover, though. I mean, any blindside number seven cover, though. We've only got Opa Mahosha, so I assume that means he's starting. Um, against Argentina. Well, see, that's a good question. See, it's easy interviewing you, Sean. You go to the points I want to make. What is to happen with Notche, though? Because he's been amazing for the Stormers, and this guy is a yeah. proper talent. When he played SAA against the Saxons, I mean, he himself almost won the match in that second second test, I think it was. So is he going to be groomed as a, as a dynamic fast six, or is he just going to be a ball-running seven? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good question. You know, I, I think that that's the thing about rugby is it's like, yeah, you get very few, you know, special specialist generalists. But I think generally what you really need is somebody who can get like a really deep focus in a position. And Notche is, you know, he's a superb talent and he is really somebody that needs to be nurtured a lot and needs to be like, Notche, this is your game. This is how you are going to dominate world rugby playing that game. And he really needs that from somebody. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's also like, oh, yeah, let's use him at eight, let's use him at seven, let's use him at six. Like, where does he belong? We really need yeah. to decide. Well, when you think of it, look, the way I see it, you know, there's a guy who's just got so much dynamic appeal in the match and he can really break things up. So to have him as a seven, obviously when it comes to the Stormers, you know, he's obviously going to mix around a bit because of Sia Khaleesi. Now, Khaleesi is injured, so he's not in here. Mahoche will always be seen as a number seven. Six, we're looking pretty good. We've got Yaku Creel, Francois Lowe. Francois Lowe can only be better than he was previously. Eight as eight as yeah. well. We're looking good there. We've got Familian and we've got Whiteley. So now, number seven yeah. used to be like the outside center of the, of the forward pack for us. We always had these big domineering ball carriers but now it's like okay well who is actually going to be our number seven warren tecklenburg perhaps um form guy from the lions but he's not going to be in there i don't think he will yeah. get into the mix here um those Dupree brothers are maybe a little bit too young still so it is it's going to be mahojo and notche and this is essential we're looking at for number sevens here yeah for sure and I think that, you know, both of them do deserve their spot. And you spot on, you know, our, our blindside flank has always been like... Oh, no. We seem to have lost... I think he was just tackled by a blindside number seven, who not mentioning his name. So it's it's quite a strange dynamic here when you think, obviously, people always say, well, why didn't it's good to see her just play the Lions, get a few players in here? Let's not... Um, think we're not living in 2016 though there's obviously a lot of transformation targets and things in, in play here you know i'd be loath to say that anyone in this team is a quota player because i mean that's just a horrible thing to say but as you can see it has to work within some parameters here there's no doubt about it open hasn't done a hell of a lot this year i haven't seen him feature much i'm yeah, super happy for the cheaters uh but this is a guy who was invested in quite a while back you know um hanika Mayer had him in the squad he was a part of the future. You can't just discard the guy. I think Notch is a great up-and-coming player. And if you watch any of the Stormers matches, you'll see this guy is the real deal. I think mean, he really is. I'm not just saying it's because he went to a really good high school either. So we can't really um and too much. It's just that it's quite strange that we haven't got the, the stereotypical big burly Afrikaans number seven guy, which is a bit hey, of a change. Ben, sorry, I, I don't know what happened there. Okay, well, you bet you're back now. I was just going on about the fact that, 
you know, we've got a bit of a change in the loose trio here, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it's about, as you say, it's about giving these players goals so they know exactly what their roles are. Just getting into the locks, getting into the locks, who've, sure, again, we're looking so good that we've got four locks, which I'd be happy for any of them to start. Diogo, Detoy, Etzebeth, and uh, Mostert. Solid. Front row, there's um, obviously some injuries, concerns here. Nyakani is a doubt as it is. Um, but you've got to think the Beast, Captain Strauss, and Redling Haste would be your form, probably first choice front row, right? Absolutely, yeah. And there's absolutely no Mal Herber here taking his injured. Kitsov, now this is an, another thing here. Now, I just spoke while you were away about the the challenges that Kutsil obviously have around picking players um, to go with the transformation charters and agreements and stuff. Yeah. Now, Kitsov is a, is a loose head, right? He's yes. an all-day, dynamic, brilliant loose head. You start with him, you're losing a player um, that forms into, into the transformation to the charter in the beast. Um, is it always going to be he's going to be the beast understudy? Or do you reckon because Kutsil wants him to play for the box so badly, not the French, that he might have a bigger role? That's a you know that's a really tough question. I think that the beast is he's he's kind of like a foundation in the in the Springbok team at the moment, and I think he's still relatively young to have a, a couple of years left in him. But again, going back to what the, what the point I made earlier, I think Alistair Kutsier, you know, he's a, he's a province coach, and I think he's got he holds kids off in very high regard. So I think um, yeah, he he definitely has a bigger role to play. He's also very very young, but I think that for now he'll probably really probably will be the beast understudy, but he probably will come on for like the last 20 minutes quite regularly. Cool. Well, Joan, unfortunately, that's all the time we got we got for this week. Um, go on to the left-backs. Sorry, let me get this right. Left-backs.co.za. <laughs> exactly. And if you could just follow us at, at left-backs on Twitter, that would be really, really awesome. Yeah, at left-backs on the Twitter. So he's going to be very busy. How's fatherhood going, by the way? Yeah, it's, it's going quite well. We're already seven weeks in, so I can't really believe it. It's actually not going too bad. Getting the hang of things finally. Nice, man. Well, rugby championship is coming up. Just to give you a quick little rundown, twentieth of August. Okay, that's not this weekend. Coming, it's the weekend after at five o'clock. SA versus Argentina in Nelspruit. Then twenty seventh of August, Argentina versus SA in Salta. That'll be in Argentina. That'll be at ten. To, uh, sorry, twenty minutes to ten in the evening. And then Australia versus SA in Brisbane. That's twelve o five on the tenth of September. Nine thirty five, seventeenth September. We've got the SA versus All Blacks in Christchurch. And then five o five, first of October, SA versus Australia in Pretoria. And then at the same time, 8th of October, SA versus the All Blacks in Durban. It's going to be a great rugby championships. New Zealand will win. There's no doubt about that. It's about SA <laughs> getting back. It's about SA getting back on the front foot and at least being the second place team and beating those Aussies sure. and those Argies. Uh, Joan, we'll catch you back quite soon, hopefully, with some good rugby stories and some cool. inspiring stuff in the rugby championship. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. Cool, man. Thanks for, thanks for being on. Right, that wraps it up for the Bounce Show today. Uh, so much to get to online throughout the week. So just go on to the Bounce uh, Follow me on Twitter, at Follow the Bounce. There's a lot going on with the Olympics, and I'm sharing as much as I can with you. I, I really just do love this event. I think it's so important for sport, and there's so much we can learn and enjoy. That's all the time we've got for today. Catch you back next week on either catch the podcast on the Bounce or today within the next hour or cliffcentral.com. Find the Bounce page on there as well. You get everything you need. All right, I'm all, I'm all talked out. That's it for today. Blah, 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 blah. This is cliffcentral.com.